The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 316, broadcasting live Wednesday, September 23rd, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show where I give my take on mixed martial arts professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. Our MMA and wrestling shows air live every Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. And our gaming and entertainment shows air every Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. You can enjoy our show by checking out our live stream on mtrlive.com. Heading there will take you to our full video stream, our high-quality audio stream on Mixler, Plus, you'll be able to participate in the live show chat. In addition to that, audio versions are streamed live via Mixler, which can be accessed via either mtrlive.com or via the official Mixler app that you can download for Android and iOS devices. That will give you 96K stereo audio, and you can enjoy the live show that way. You can also use our call-in number, not hit option one to enter the queue, and listen that way if you are on the go. Last but not least, our video feed is simulcast on StreamUp, Vaughn Live, YouTube Live, and Twitch TV. So, with that said, if you are using any of those services, I invite you guys to go to mtrlive.com. If you want to participate in tonight's show, you can use the chat there and share your thoughts with the rest of our listeners and the rest of our audience. And, of course, I interact with you guys on air all the time. So, by all means, feel free to do that. Or, as I said, call in, share your thoughts. I always like to hear from our listeners during any of our segments. But with that said, let's get some housekeeping out of the way and jump into this week's MMA and wrestling. Well, first thing, of course, is our Guardians of the Galaxy Marvel Legends box set contest. You still have time to enter. You can enter till 11.59 tonight. Uh, Contest will officially end at 12.01 on September 24th at which time I will announce the winner on air for our gaming and entertainment edition of the show, Thursday evening, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. 
And if you are chosen, please get us your address within 24 to 48 hours, and we will send you your prize. I definitely want to take a moment and thank our friends at Entertainment Earth for forwarding us uh, this awesome giveaway to share with you guys. We got some other giveaways on deck as well, and hopefully we should have those live within the next week or two. Obviously, we're still trying to finish up what we did with the uh, Vampire Diaries Originals giveaway. And, of course, we want to send out our prizes for this Guardians of the Galaxy giveaway, but we definitely want to do more giveaways in the future. Uh, A couple of other things I did want to point out. uh, The broadcast schedule for the month of September will remain as is going into the first week of October. There may be some slight schedule changes in the month of October, uh, in particular because there's a lot of events coming up in October that we're going to be involved in in varying capacities. Aside from, obviously, you know, all the the Comic-Con-related stuff that we're going to try and share with you guys. We're also going to be doing uh, some other event coverage. We got some stuff with EA that we're working with, uh, which is weird considering how often I, I, I kind of give EA shit for multiple reasons, but we are going to be doing some stuff with them and um, we'll be looking out for the, be on the lookout for that in October. We're also going to be at the photo plus expo and we are also going to probably be doing something with get geeked, which will be the second week of October. If I'm correct, I don't have my calendar in front of me for that, but we're definitely going to be doing something there. Um, Be on the lookout for all those updates. Of course, on social media, follow us at my take radio at rage underscore works. And of course, become a fan on Facebook to stay up to date with that stuff. Um, other thing I did want to address. Many of you have reached out expressing a lot of, um, I, I guess I want to say enthusiasm for the new chat that we are using for the show, uh, this for the last two weeks. Um, I really do like the chat. I think it works well. I know a lot of you guys Enjoy the mobile access, which, of course, is something that we've been trying to get out there for everyone to enjoy thoroughly. I will say this. um, We're still weeding out some of the bugs with regards to just getting the mobile version of the site up and running. I know some of you guys have reached out with, um, you know, just input, I want to say, suggestions, some criticisms with regards to certain aspects of the mobile offering. We're working on that. I noticed um, that a couple of people had varying issues, including uh, the site not loading all the way through. And, um, you know, the other thing, of course, being that they had issues with the way that the chat room was loading on their phones. But we managed to actually switch hosting providers. And because of that, we um, were able to get a lot of the stuff resolved. I think the new web host has been a lot better than the previous. I know a lot of you guys said that the they you guys noticed some increases in site speed. I'm very excited for that. And I think that that's going to be something that we're going to be seeing more of as we weed out and get to the bottom of certain little nagging issues behind the scenes relating to the site. I also saw a lot of new faces in our Facebook group. Uh, Very happy to see so many of you joining the group. If you guys want to check it out, we do have the information for that on our fan page. And, of course, you can go and interact with other uh, show listeners, website readers, 
you guys know the deal. Feel free to go in there, shoot the shit, hang out, and um, discuss all the stuff that we cover. MMA, pro wrestling, a lot of wrestling talk, especially with the Night of Champions this past Sunday. We're going to get into that. We are going to break down Raw. We got the wrestling news of the week. I I have lots to share with regards to Bellator's we, uh, event this past weekend, uh, Bellator 142 Dynamite, which was, it was interesting, <laughs> to put it mildly. Interesting to is, is definitely a word I'd like to use to describe uh, that particular event. It wasn't terrible, but it was, it was definitely a circus-like atmosphere and um, really, really pumped to see so many people interact and check it out because I heard from a lot of people I hadn't heard in so long. And, um, you know, it, it worked out that we not only got some crazy fights and a bunch of madness, but we also got to see an appearance from Fedor, which I want to get into because he announced his plans for 2016, well, 2015, and I'm sure that's going to lead into some big announcements in 2016 as well. The other thing I did want to address, and a couple of people have asked, is with regards to writing for the site, working with us. I know that originally on MyTakeRadio.com, we had a application and people were able to submit samples. I took that down because we were getting a lot of people pitching uh, guest posts and certain other items, which while they were appreciated, they definitely were not, um, they weren't conducive to what we did. And what ended up happening was it, it ended up generating a lot of spam. But for those of you that are interested and want to work with us, whether it be uh, writing for the site or even advertising with us, feel free to reach out via the contact us form that is on RageWorks.net. And um, I know a lot of you guys have reached out already. I'm definitely going to try and respond to everyone that has reached out by no later than Saturday. So those of you that did reach out, expect a response by Saturday. But if you are interested in doing that, we may, you know, I want to direct you to the contact form, use that, and we'll be able to go from there. Last bit of housekeeping news next week, a uh, very cool week for MTR, besides this one being MTR316, um, which of course you can use the hashtag MTR316 on Twitter or Facebook if you want to help it trend. Um, we will be joined by former UFC fighter, current glory competitor pat barry many of you know pat from his legendary fight with mirko krokop a um, couple of other great fights in the ufc trained briefly with brock lesnar at death clutch is currently uh helping his fiance rose namayunas prepare for her fight with angela hill in the upcoming ufc event we're going to get into that he is going to be joining us next week for our mma and wrestling edition we're going to obviously discuss his career, uh, the transition from MMA back into uh, competitive kickboxing. We're going to talk about Rose's preparation for her fight. We're going to talk about what's going on in MMA as a whole. And of course, we will take your calls and your questions as well. So by all means, feel free to join us next Wednesday. Uh, our call time with Pat, he is scheduled to join us at 1115 uh, Eastern Standard Time, 815 Pacific. And like I said, I'm really looking forward to that show. A uh, couple of reasons. Number one, big Pat Barry fan. I uh, Every fight the guys had, I've always enjoyed. Uh, definitely appreciate the guy's enthusiasm to mixed martial arts. And I think that it's going to be a fun interview. Guy's a, 
an easygoing, fun-loving dude, and he really engages very well on social media. So I know that you guys that are UFC and MMA fans will appreciate that. Again, he will be joining us next Wednesday, 11.15 is his call time, 8.15 Pacific. All right, so with that, we are going to close out this housekeeping. We are going to jump into this week's MMA news because, man, it was definitely a wild weekend. So let's get that ball rolling. All right, so I want to get the ball rolling with Bellator 142 Dynamite. And there's a lot of stuff about this card. I'm not going to go fight by fight because obviously that'll that'll take us into two-hour show territory. But the approach for this card was very interesting because they did a lot of, a lot of things to capture uh, Pride fans, kickboxing fans, and MMA fans. First of all, they brought in Lenny Hart to handle all the announcing. For those of you that don't know Lenny Hart by name, you'll know her voice as it was synonymous with Pride Fighting Championships. You guys know that Pride had the really crazy, over-the-top female ring announcer. That is Lenny Hart. Uh, She actually worked this Bellator Dynamite event doing all the announcing for the fighters. Um, It was nostalgic as a fan of Pride, but it definitely did detract a little bit. And the reason I say this is because, excuse me, the theatricality of Pride Fighting or Pride FC was a big part of its appeal. Obviously, the the presentation, the pomp and circumstance, all of that was essential to the overall organization, the presentation of the organization. Now, if you switch gears and you watch Pride now, you realize that much like WWE's Attitude Era, it was in a small, it was it was just a, a small lightning in a bottle situation where it really got MMA in front of a lot of people, some for the right reasons, other, you know, and there were some wrong reasons as well. I say this because when people want to speak about the barbaric nature of mixed martial arts, the first thing they do is pull up Pride FC videos, you know, with head stomps, et cetera, et cetera, when, you know, the sport has evolved past that. But nonetheless, many of us were indoctrined into the sport of mixed martial arts with pride fighting. Others, of course, were 100% pure UFC veterans. For me, it was a mixture of the two. Obviously, watching UFC fights on VHS and um, tape trading with, 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 you know, classmates, et cetera, we ended up watching a lot of that stuff. When Ken Shamrock joined the WWE at the time, along with Dan Severn, I did a lot more homework, did a lot more research, and started following a lot of that career. You know, a lot of their careers, looking for old footage, and it took me into you know Japanese mixed martial arts, and it started exposing me to Pride and some of the just insane fights that were there. Of course, so many great fighters came out of Pride, legends in their own in their own right. Um, we can go down the list from, you know, guys like, and, and you know, Vanderlei Silva, Quentin Rampage Jackson, Mirko Krokop, Fedor, um, Vitor, who fought in pride, uh, the Noguera brothers, um, 
Shogun. We could just go down the list of guys that fought in Pride, and we've we've enjoyed their careers for a multitude of reasons. I mean, Vanderlei Silva was probably him and Rampage were probably my two favorite fighters in Pride. Of course, Mirko and Fedor were tied for third for different reasons, but. What ends up happening is, you know, you watch that and you embrace it, you appreciate it. And when it comes to nostalgia, it's one of those things where you look back on it and you're like, hey, man, remember Rampage powerbombing Ricardo Arona? Or do you remember Kevin Randleman suplexing Fedor and still losing? There's so many great memories. And I think that Bellator, in their, in their desire to create something unique, they borrowed a lot of elements from Pride to make people tune in, but in the same in the same breath, they also made it seem way too over the top to where it was pretty much cartoonish. And I appreciate it because, like I said, I, I came from that era watching that stuff, but I know a lot of guys that were really just, they found, they found it to be not what they expected, it, or, or they found it to be just way too over the top. So, like I said, there were a lot of right things. There were a lot of wrong things. But the first thing I want to address is their one-night light heavyweight tournament. Of course, the way it was set up, the the end game, which Ben and I discussed last week, was getting King Mo and Phil Davis in the final. Unfortunately, that was not the case. Of course, King Mo had a very, very competitive fight with Linton Vassal, but turns out that as the night progressed we found out that King Mo was unable to continue after sustaining a very very uh you know not life-threatening but very serious rib injury which um, prohibited him from competing Phil Davis on the other hand had a very um highlight real worthy night dispatching with Emmanuel Newton via Kimura in the first round and um again Phil Davis looked really good there and I I felt that Phil Davis was comfortable in Bellator and I wouldn't be surprised if Phil Davis it becomes their light heavyweight champion sooner rather than later and I'll get into why I think that later on. With regards to the kickboxing portion, Kerry Melendez uh had a really solid performance against Hadley Griffith um but again it just felt very very rushed. Now the Paul Daly fight was solid as well but again these fights went to decision we were expecting uh, sparks and fireworks but it felt I think that by doing the rules here in the U.S. you lost a lot of what K1 what you know what made K1 and kickboxing so appealing and you know that was just the the way the kicking was done the ability to clinch etc etc I mean Val even mentioned pride in K1 back in the day and I felt that the unified rules definitely took away from what we were expecting in a kickboxing event here in the U.S. Now, Josh Thompson debuted during this Bellator card. Thompson looked pretty solid, but it wasn't. It was a fight that you knew was going to be competitive for Thompson, but it was a fight that it was his to lose. He looked surprisingly solid in that fight. I definitely think that Bellator is going to try their har- their hardest to ensure that he becomes one of the premier faces of the organization. He looked really good in there. I mean, he got an arm arm triangle choke. 
in the third round, dispatching Mike Bronzoulis. But again, if he lost that fight, I would have been shocked only because Josh Thompson, for being the veteran of the sport that he is, is not a guy that is, you know, past his prime. I, I believe Josh Thompson still has a lot of good fights in him, and I expected the fight to just be a little shorter. But nonetheless, it was an exciting fight and a, and a good outing for Josh Thompson in Bellator. Now, the crowning of the light heavyweight title for glory, uh, the kickboxing fight, it was uh, Salo Cavallari, who was my favorite going in, taking on um, Zach Mikasa. And the thing about this fight is that if you haven't watched uh, a kickboxing fight, the fight went the full five rounds and it definitely delayed a lot of what happened with the light heavyweight tournament. Even King Mo acknowledged that he was going to try and fight through the pain and go on to the second round. But unfortunately for him, you know, the, the card dragged on so much that it ended up causing, it ended up doing more harm than good in the long run. Now, the issue with this is the fact that because of it, obviously fans were deprived of seeing King Mo and Phil Davis square off, but I wouldn't be shocked if that fight gets set up in the near future. Obviously, Phil Davis will be facing off against the winner of Tito and Liam McGarry, which I'll address in a moment, but I do feel that the lengthy, glory, light heavyweight title fight derailed a lot of the, what they hoped to accomplish in the um, single light heavyweight tournament in one night. I mean, that was a big problem. In any case, uh, Phil Davis ended up fighting the alternate, which was Francis Carmont. And the funny thing is, everybody saw it, and they were just like, you know, the healthiest guys got to fight. And no disrespect to Francis Carmont, he's, he's a solid fighter, but Phil Davis was riding a wave of momentum. He dispatched him very quickly, getting the victory via TKO punches in the first round. And it was crazy because there was a lot of circling. And Davis, when he died, when he dove forward, he actually landed a left hook that knocked Francis Carmont on his ass. And at that point, it was just academic to close out the fight. Again, it was definitely Phil Davis's night. There were a lot of factors, like I said, that hurt the overall presentation of the event. But if, if, if the main goal was to make Phil Davis a star, definitely they succeeded. That's for damn sure. Now, the title fight between Liam McGeary and Tito Ortiz, obviously the first thing that everyone says is why is Tito Ortiz fighting for a belt? And whether you love Tito Ortiz or you hate him, there's still an, an allure and an appeal towards having him involved. But the problem is that involving him in the title picture or in some of these fights, I understand that he's trying to go out there and prove himself and and just get and help the organization. But what he's doing is that he's he's showing that even though he is a mixed martial artist, he is not on the same level as the mixed martial artists that are active today. Tito Ortiz was a ground and pound wrestling specialist from start to finish. And even though he has evolved somewhat over the last few years, Tito's bread and butter has always been wrestling and just de devastating ground and pound. But the problem is that the sport has evolved so much 
that guys that are exclusively wrestlers need always end up having to fine tune either their submission game or their striking game to round themselves out because you can't just use the smother and cover or the lay and pray. It just it just doesn't work. And in in his case, he tried to to use that against a guy like Liam McGeary who has really really solid Brazilian jiu-jitsu and that's pretty much how it went, you know, he went for the fight went to the ground and McGeary actually went for an arm bar and then used the arm bar to transition into an inverted triangle choke, at which point Tito Ortiz had to tap out. And the thing is, it was so, the transition was so seamless that it was it was a blink and you missed it. I was like, holy shit, he got him. And what bothered me wasn't the fact that the fight ended so quickly. It was the fact that Liam McGeary didn't even get a chance to express any emotion about his victory against a legend in the sport because they gave the microphone to Tito and Tito gave us a sermon for 15 minutes. And by the time they got to Liam McGeary, he was just like, all right, yeah, cool. And then they brought in Phil Davis and they, they prepared, you know, they, they started setting up the Phil Davis, Liam McGeary title fight. My problem is you've gone to the lane, you have crowned the new light heavyweight champion in Liam McGeary. The guy is the face of your, of your light heavyweight division. And he takes a back seat to Tito Ortiz, who decided that speaking for 15 minutes was the name of the game. And it bothered me greatly. I mean, Tito could have, could have graciously stepped aside and just been like, Hey, you know, I lost, let me turn over, you know, turn over the microphone to Liam because it's his moment. It's his opportunity to shine. No, Tito Ortiz has to jump in front of the microphone. Yeah, you know, I still, I got hard, blah, blah, blah. And it's that and the third. And I'm just like, all right, dude, we get it. We get it. You didn't give us any excuses that your back was broken or your eyeball was hanging out. It was, it was, it was annoying to me. And like I said, I like Tito Ortiz, but I just felt that Liam, the spotlight should have been on Liam McGeary. And to go, to go the route of putting him essentially a second fiddle to let Tito have a moment was really disingenuous and honestly just really fucked up. I did not appreciate that at all. Now, many people are saying that, you know, Fedor's appearance was the highlight of the evening. And the reason that's that that's not the case to me is because the guy who owned Pride is launching some some sort of new promotion. Aside from the fact that they made the poor bastard read off a cue card, is the fact that all right, the guy that owned Pride is starting a new promotion, but Fedor is going to be fighting there. I believe it's New Year's Eve. So of course everybody's like, oh my god, Fedor, blah, not going to the UFC. And here's here's my issues. You had a guy who owned another company come to your show and announce that he has another company that is taking the one of the one of the most coveted heavyweights in MMA and is fighting on Spike TV. First of all, Fedor didn't sign with Bellator. So the fact that you have this guy there from another organization plugging his event with a guy that you wish was part of your organization is just ridiculous. Now, I understand, obviously, Spike TV probably had something to do with that, but as as 
being Scott Coker, I would have been like, yo, are you fucking kidding me? You got this guy coming in here, plugging his organization just because he's debuting on the same network? You guys are fucking crazy. No, no, no. Everybody, you know, here's the last emperor. Fedor comes out. Uh, you know, he's excited to fight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But let me, let me remind all of you. Fedor said in an interview, I'd like to fight once more in Japan, and then I will decide where I'm going to go. He didn't sign with Bellator. He didn't do anything with the UFC. He's getting this fight in in Japan, which I'm sure is going to be a massive payday. And then he's going to announce where he's going to go. I have a nagging suspicion that once Fedor gets that big payday from the Japanese fight, he will inevitably sign with the UFC. Now, as for opponents, you know, King Mo expressed interest in fighting him. Um, it's funny because in the chat, um, Beretta's saying that Bellator wants to make money. It should be Tito versus Fedor. And, um, oh, man. it's here, Here's the thing. Anybody that fights Fedor, whether you love him or hate him, is gonna be is gonna be is gonna be famous. If a guy beats Fedor, whether you love him or hate him, it's gonna put him on the map. And if Fedor beats a credible fighter, everybody's gonna be automatically laser focused on Fedor's next destination. Now, for me, I still feel that Fedor fighting in the UFC is not only possible, but inevitable. And I say this because the UFC has the deeper pockets. Yes, Bellator may have Spike TV. But the problem with Spike TV is the fact that the platform that they're on and the way that they're delivering the product is not going to create the same buzz that you would with Fedor in the UFC. Yes, Fedor can have his own sponsors and Fedor can come out to whatever Russian opera music he wants or Lenny Hart can do the announcing again. But at the end of the day, when it comes to viable competition, what are you going to do? Put Fedor in there with Phil Davis or Liam McGeary or maybe Tito Ortiz or maybe you put him to fight one of the heavyweights that you have in the organization? It's, yes, on paper it'll look great because, oh, look, I'm fighting Fedor, but you're not going to get the same mainstream exposure that you'd get if you said Fedor was fighting I don't know, Junior Dos Santos, or if Fedor was fighting Alistair Overeem, or if Fedor decided to cut down and fight at 205. There are so many different possibilities in Fedor's case where the UFC and Fedor can make a shit ton of money that it's, it's, it's better, it's best for business, no pun intended, that Fedor go with the UFC. I mean, that's, that's what it is. Like I said, the wealth of possibilities, even at heavyweight. If if I told you Fedor was fighting Junior Dos Santos, how many of you guys in the chat would want to watch that? If I said to you Fedor is fighting Alistair Overeem, how many people would want to see that? Or if Fedor, for whatever reason, was going to come in and fight even Roy Nelson at this point, or Frank Mir, or... You know, Todd Duffy, I, I can go down the list. Mark Hunt is a, is a great one. I can go down the list of guys that would be money-making money making opponents for Fedor at this point that it would make your head spin. And we're only talking about heavyweight. 
we're not even we're not even addressing the fact that if Fedor decided to to cut a little weight and fight at 205 that there's a wealth of talent at 205 that would be worth fighting it's it's crazy but the guy said in an interview specifically that he wanted to have a fight in he wanted to get a fight in for the Japanese fans and look what's happening he's doing that overall i felt that bellator's event in terms of theatricality, it, it definitely delivered the goods, but I think that it went a little too over the top trying to capture the glory that Pride had created in its heyday. And in that respect, you know, they definitely went a little too overboard. Now, do I think that we'll see more Bellator um, and Dynamite events in the future? Absolutely, because people definitely tuned in. A lot of good fights were on that card, but it has to definitely be structured a little differently because you definitely cannot do a one-night tournament. Can't do it because too many variables, too many factors, and things just fall apart. I mean, even even with this event, you saw that at the end of the day, it was Francis Carmont who fought in the prelims and had to fight again against Phil Davis, and Phil Davis was pretty well-rested. He took no damage in his fight with Emmanuel Newton, so you knew that he was just going to walk through him at that point, and that's exactly what happened. Beretta says, the only fight the UFC could make that would make me interested is Brock Lesnar. Send Rousey to WWE for WrestleMania and get Brock for that fight. As much as I think that would be amazing, the problem is that Brock Lesnar is... A, he's at a stage in his career where I just feel that he doesn't have the, the he doesn't have the juice to do a full MMA camp. Not only that, but do a full MMA camp with a real fucking with a real school. Whether it's Jackson Winklejohn or Duke Rufus or any of these guys, Brock Lesnar's just he's just not that dude. Not at this stage in the game. I think that if he did do it. He'd still want to train his own way and bring in X, Y, and Z fighter to help him get ready. But at the end of the day, it's like, is it is is it worth it? Now, Beretta says he may not have the juice, but show him $10 million and his ass is there. Here's, here's the thing. The amount of money Brock is getting from WWE at this point is not going to entice him whatsoever. And, you know, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna get him to to do that at all. Um Jimbo Slice, uh Jackson Winklejohn is Greg Jackson, Mike Winklejohn's camp. Duke Rufus is the camp for um Anthony Pettis, CM Punk is in that fight camp. Um gimme give, give me some other guys that are in Duke Rufus's camp. In any case, those are those are two uh fight camps. Besides, of course, the Black Zillions which I definitely don't see Brock Lesnar doing a training camp with the Black Zillions. I uh, don't see that happening. <laughs> Val writes, has Brock Lesnar ever had a real MMA camp? That's the problem. Brock Lesnar hasn't. <laughs> it, it, like I said, the Fedor-Brock Lesnar dream fight is a fight that everybody wanted to see. We all wanted to see that fight. And the UFC tried to make it happen and, you know, all the co-promotion, all the craziness, it, it just it just wasn't it just wasn't feasible. And like I said, as much as I would have loved to have seen that fight, 
we we know that that ship has has come and gone. Now, I will say this: in Fedor's case, he looks in in great shape. If if he performs the way he did in his prime for that fight in Japan, then wherever he goes, it's going to be very interesting because we've always we've always felt that Fedor had a lot of hand picked opponents. And people have always told me, yeah, you know, Fedor had a lot of cans on his resume. But he, Fedor also had a lot of, he had a lot of killers and a lot of hitters in that resume. So you can't write him off completely. Yes, his fight against Hangman Choi, if, was that his name? The Giant? I think that was, I think Hangman Choi was his name. Um, you know, that was definitely a pride style cartoon character fight. But when he fought Dan Henderson, when he even when he fought Antonio Bigfoot Silva, when he fought Verdum, it's it's just interesting to see because when you look at those fights, you say to yourself, well, he fought one legitimate killer and two guys that got lucky. Again, that's a uh, 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 people that I've spoken to have said that they're like he fought one legit killer in Fabricio Verdum and two, you know, not two nobodies, but one guy who's who's teetering on on retirement in Dan Henderson and Antonio Bigfoot Silva is just big like like the guy's just big like if you put him in there with skilled opponents he gets dismantled easily i the way i see it is with regards to Fedor's fight in Japan they'll probably give him a name opponent but definitely an opponent that won't that that'll fall in his wheelhouse I, you know, people are like, yeah, you know, I could fight with King Mo. That would work. King Mo, as many as much as people try to write that guy off, he's still dangerous. He can still go out there. He's got good punching power, good wrestling. He can definitely secure a victory over a guy like Fedor. He can. Let's not kid ourselves. At the end of the day, everybody just wants to see him in the UFC one time. And it's probably going to happen. Dana's going to toss a shitload of money. He'll sign on the dotted line. He'll get one or two good fights. Maybe those fights will put him in contention. Maybe they won't. And then he'll just walk off into the sunset, and that'll be it. Anybody that thinks that Fedor is going to fight five, six, seven, eight fight contract with the UFC, not happening. Three at best. One entering fight, one solid top 10 contender fight, and maybe a title fight if it's against a guy who, who, who does, you know, who's who's high enough on the rankings to get it noticed. But five fights, six fights, seven fights, not happening. It's not happening. As much as people want to say that that's the case, it's it's really not. Simple as that. Let's switch gears and jump into the other MMA news of the week. Uh, big fight that's starting to come together, rumored for 2016, is Rory McDonald and Hector Lombard. Ariel Helwani mentioned it on UFC Tonight. And I think that's a very solid fight for both guys. Of course, Hector Lombard is supposed to be coming off suspension January 3rd. Uh, He tested positive for anabolic steroids at the UFC 182 card. And, of course, Rory McDonald is coming off a war that he had with Robbie Lawler. Now, the thing is, people are going to be watching this fight and they're going to be looking at Hector Lombard very carefully because Hector Lombard came out of Bellator with an incredible amount of fanfare And it pains me to say that he did not live up to expectations for a litany of reasons. Rory McDonald 
is a guy that is incredibly talented, but I definitely feel that he got at least five years knocked off his life in that fight with Robbie Lawler. Anybody that cares to disagree, please look up some of the post-fight pictures and you'll see how Rory McDonald look post-fight. I think it was a, a great fight for Rory. I think it showed that he that he's a warrior and not just you know a weirdo that, that looks like Kenny Florian. And um, for a guy like Robbie Lawler, it just showed that Robbie Lawler thrives on having wars. The guy is, is, is a monster, and the resurgence of his career ever since coming back to the UFC just can't be ignored. I mean, the guy came in there, and it was just devastating performance, amazing performance, devastating performance. And people look at it, and they're like, wow, this guy, it's almost like he jumped in the fountain of youth, and I just feel that everything came together and Robbie Lawler just, he, he hit a different gear at this point. Now, Lombard, of course, known for his, his knockout power, uh, a guy that, that always comes in chiseled out of granite, which obviously is questionable at this point, has a lot to prove coming in because you're fighting a guy that challenged for a title, had a war, and is still a guy who's going to be talked about for at least the next two years as, oh my God, that guy had one of the most legendary fights I've ever seen. So this is going to definitely be a make or break, make or break situation for Hector Lombard when he comes off suspension. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, <laughs> Beretta says Lawler's resurgence is thanks to the League of Shadows, man. You couldn't paint, you couldn't write a better story for Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler is definitely, uh, I don't, I don't know, man. He's, he's definitely on a whole other level. <laughs> That's for damn sure. The other, the you know, when we talk about, you know, UFC darlings, uh, fighters that pretty much have the organization wrapped around their finger, a lot of names come up immediately. Top of the list, of course, Ronda Rousey, followed by Conor McGregor. Um, definitely two fighters that the organization does anything and everything possible to make them look good. Another fighter that has risen risen into those ranks is Paige Van Zant. Now Paige Van Zant, uh, who trains with Team Alpha Male currently, is an incredibly um she's a she's a gifted athlete. I'll say this. She likes to go in there, have really scrappy brawls. Um, you know, she's young, she's good looking, easily marketable. Easily. And it was recently announced that she signed a brand new contract with the UFC and shortly after, it was announced that she was going to be having a fight with Joanne Calderwood, which is going to be happening uh, for UFC Fight Night 80, December 10th in Vegas. Now, Joanne Calderwood is a tremendous fighter. She is incredibly dangerous. Her stand-up is, is no joke. And this is going to definitely be a real test for Paige Van Zandt. I know that the UFC would love more than anything to fast-track her into a title fight. And I kind of see it going in that direction. I have a feeling if she has a, a a solid performance or even a highlight reel worthy performance against Joanne Calderwood, I almost see it. I almost see it being the next fight that she that she get that she's given. And the problem is that you're going to give her a fight against a champion that can essentially dismantle her with relative ease. And the reason I say this is because. The the women the women's division the 115 pound strawweight division is dangerous. There are a lot of hitters 
in that division. A lot of a lot of bad a lot of bad chicks in that division. And to put Paige Van Zandt in that situation so quickly may end up doing more harm than good. I understand that the UFC wants to capitalize on her girl next door cuteness, but it, it's it's gonna be bad if they go and start underestimating the people that they put her in there with. Joanne Calderwood, you know, she she came out of the Ultimate Fighter. She has an impressive resume, really good striking, and you can't you can't ignore her talent. That's for damn sure. Now, if Paige Van Zandt gets past her, well, then, then maybe we might start talking about a fight with a top five or top three opponent. But definitely do not fast track her to an event where you're going to derail everything that you've hoped to accomplish with her thus far. That's all I'm saying. Ah, it's, it's refreshing, but also frustrating to talk about John Jones this week, uh, because John Jones will be going before the judge, uh, September 29th. And according to what's been said, it appears that John Jones is going to plea. Uh, he's going for a plea deal in this situation, for those of you that don't know, Jones was arrested in a- in April on a felony charge for leaving the scene of an accident involving great bodily harm or death. Now, the court documents that were released um, said that John Jones and his legal team appear ready to take a plea deal. Now, of course, we don't know the extent of what that plea deal is. We will definitely be keeping an eye on on all things MMA related on September 29th to discuss that. Um, According to what happened, John Jones ran a red light in a rented SUV. He hit a car that had a pregnant woman inside. Um, He hopped out of the vehicle, took all the money he had, um, all the merchandise that he had, and he left the scene. Uh, The woman did not lose her baby, but did suffer a broken arm. As a result, uh, police could not find John Jones for 24 hours. He did end up turning himself in later on and um it's 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 a crazy crazy uh situation where a guy essentially destroyed his own career and nobody wants to acknowledge the elephant in the room and that is John Jones and his his coke problem which we had already we've already discussed due to him having cocaine metabolites in his system now there's a there's a lot of factors at play here his plea deal, he can, you know, get community service, probation, have to do mandatory drug counseling, etc., pay a fine, whatever the case may be. But there is also the possibility that the woman can file a civil suit against him and go after go after his money that way. Now, again, this isn't saying that John Jones is right or wrong in this situation. It's um Oh my god. <laughs> Jimbo slice with the uh communique of the evening but here's here's the thing John Jones right now is honestly his own worst enemy that, that's really it anybody that tries to that tries to paint a, any other picture is bull is full of shit I'll tell you why the guy had cocaine metabolites in his system Everybody turned a blind eye. The commission said that the test wasn't even supposed to get out. Let's 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 leave that there. Then he gets put into a drug treatment program that he stays in for one day. 
Let's remember, one day he stays in there. Then, of course, shortly after that, this happens. Now, whether it was because of cocaine or any other narcotics that were in his system, the fact remains that the guy was, the guy almost killed somebody, was incredibly negligent, and all he had to do was stay at the scene of the accident. The cops maybe probably wouldn't have even searched his car because they would have known who he was, and he wouldn't be in the situation he's in. Now, I'm not saying this to condone what he did, but I'm just citing the obvious because the guy would have been there, the cops would have showed up, they would have seen the lady was injured, he would have shown concern, the lady would have gone to the hospital, he would have gone about his business, and that would have been it. And who knows, they probably would have swept it under the rug, he he may still have been, he may still be fighting, and none of this would have escalated to the point that it has. The fact is, John Jones needs, needs court-mandated drug testing to ensure that he stays clean. That's number one. Number two, when he comes back to the sport, he needs to be tested randomly on a consistent basis within the confines of obviously whatever court-appointed punishment he receives the UFC needs to be on top of that as well now obviously the commission and their views on cocaine are completely fucking stupid but aside from that you don't want a guy with a history of of drug abuse representing your organization in the capacity that he was representing the UFC and I say this in quotes because at the end of the day John Jones fell out of favor with the UFC the minute he didn't want to take the fight on short notice. The minute that he went against the UFC was the minute that the UFC stopped giving a fuck about him and stopped trying to cover for all his shortcomings. Easy, Everybody knows that. And if you don't know that, you'll see it just with the way that the sport is going to, you know, just with the way that the sport is going to address Vitor's situation, which I'm glad Beretta brought up because Vitor is in the news this week. And um, last week we know that he was accusing Weidman of testing positive for steroids. But um, it's uh, Vitor is is on a whole other level. It's it's wait wait till I get to that because man, it's it was it was ridiculous. In any case, so Josh Gross published a a report on Deadspin, and I can see if I can find the link for that and share it with you guys. Uh, Slick, if you can, look up the Deadspin article about Vitor Belfort. And what ended up happening was that according to the report that Josh Gross published on Deadspin, Vitor tested positive for elevated testosterone three weeks before his fight with John Jones at UFC 152 in Toronto. Let me let that sink in for a second. So this guy who had numerous TRT exemptions and all this bullshit tested positive for elevated testosterone before his fight with John Jones. Thank you. And nobody, nobody saw anything wrong with this. According to what was published in the report, Slick shared the link in the chat room. The document shows that Vitor Belfort's free testosterone levels were high, 
two and a half times above the average for a man his age. At the time, the TRT exemption was considered a form of sanctioned doping, but the document raised a lot of suspicions because the guy's testosterone level was two times the normal limit. According to emails that were sent by the UFC after that, they said that, um, according to the report, a paralegal working for the UFC had meant to send the email with the subject Vitor Belfort Labs to three UFC executives. Instead, much of the uh, much of it was sent to the known MMA world, including several people with whom the promotion openly feuded in the past. So, according to what happened, the email went out at three o four, and the paralegal attempted to recall the message at three fifty five. A third email explained that the original email had been sent in error and recipients were asked to please disregard the email and delete it ASAP. At 7.16 p.m. that day, recipients got a memorandum from the UFC vice president, from UFC's executive vice president and general counsel. He said, the details of Belfort's test, Belfort's test administered, according to these records on September 1st, 2012, by Dr. Pierce, measured one 1,038 nanograms of testosterone per deciliter. A person in Belfort's age range is more sli- most likely to be in the 700s. So while this result was within the normal range, it was near the high end of it. His free testosterone debt levels were clearly elevated. Beneath the flag to the right of result column of the LabCorp document, Belfort's free testosterone results labeled in bold as high. The acceptable range, according to the metrics established by LabCorp, are between 8.7 and 25.1 picograms, or a trillionth of a gram per milliliter. So, let's let's get something straight. Vitor, after the TRT exemptions were abolished and destroyed by the UFC, had to go clean. As a result of going clean, we know that he turned himself into what essentially is the Jack Skellington of mixed martial arts and proceeded to piss and moan about, you know, people talking about his past instead of respecting the athlete in his present state. Um, of course, Chris Weidman made it publicly known on numerous occasions that he wanted to ensure that his contest with Vitor Belfort was clean. Of course, Chris Weidman dispatched Vitor Belfort and last week in the what the fuck MMA news segment, uh, Vitor went as far as saying that Chris Weidman had low testosterone and that he found it incredibly convenient that no one was talking about it. Well, here's the thing. You want to sit here and talk about Weidman's testosterone being low, but yours was double the standard during a title fight. And no one said anything. Now, of course, the 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 easy out is that he had a testosterone exemption, a TRT exemption, but it's it's craziness. It's craziness. Now, the thing that that gets me is that the Ontario Athletic Commission was unaware of Belfort's TRT or apparent use exemption. As far as the commission was concerned, any details related to testosterone exemptions were spelled out in the contract between the UFC and its fighters, according to the, minist- the a representative from the Ministry of, P- of Consumer Affairs. 
Ahead of the fight, Mark Ratner, the head of UFC's regulatory affairs, told the told source.com that the UFC cannot disclose drug testing or use exemption information because of the commission. On the night, of course, that Jones defeated Vitor, though not before, the, obviously, um, John Jones' arm was injured, Ontario was not preventing the UFC from disclosing this sort of information. So, a couple of things that bother me about this. Obviously, there was a lot of information floating around during that time that got out that acknowledged that Vitor had some shit going on with his testosterone levels. Everybody thinks that, oh, well, he was exempt, he was not exempt, whatever the case may be. The guy had a a testosterone level two times the accepted minimum. Two times higher than the accepted minimum. And no one, no one feels it was necessary to acknowledge this. Now, my issue is exactly what Val just said. I thought there were no longer any TRT exemptions. At the time, it was said that the Canadian Commission, the the Commission in Ontario, felt that whatever was going on with regards to TRT exemptions was being handled by the organization and was not something that needed to be handled by the commission. I still think that in Vitor's case, the guy... The guy is just a a suspect fighter in every sense of the word. Every time he gets in the cage with somebody, I don't want to see him lose, but I'm also concerned that if he beats a guy and his levels end up coming high or or just just tainted in any in any capacity, you're you're hurting the career of your opponent because yes, the guy he may get the loss overturned or whatever the case may be. But if you lost in highlight real fashion, it's something that people won't soon forget regardless of the circumstances. And I just I just feel that the way that the commission and the UFC are handling so many of these issues, it's it's not as good as it should be. It's really not. They went to all these lengths to talk about all the the different testing methods and all the things they're going to do to punish those that are that are caught using steroids or banned supplements or whatever the case may be. But instead of only focusing on that, they're also letting bullshit get under the radar that people are end up finding out about later and end up questioning the organization. Let's let's be realistic. Vitor got dismantled by John Jones. He did. So whether he was on the juice or not on the juice, it didn't matter because he lost. But the fact that the guy's level was that high and nobody thought, hey, this is something we should address before it's misconstrued or viewed as negligence. Instead, it's just like, oh, we're just finding out about it in some random column years later. It's ridiculous. Val says, Vitor got busted for steroids. UFC looks the other way. Vitor dodges a drug test so he can cycle off TRT. UFC lets him slide. Now he's been busted for having elevated testosterone, and UFC says, delete the emails. Exactly. That's the the kind of shit you don't want getting out there. And and I already, you know, I already kind of took the UFC to task last week with the Nick Diaz situation. But now we get this, too? It's it's ridiculous and it's fucking crazy. It's what it is. But 
what can you do at this point? At this point, all we can do is hope that T that you know TRT and anything related to it, if it does come out, is addressed in a, in a forward facing public fashion and not oh shit this email got out please delete it because it just doesn't help anyone at this case. My you know I gave you guys my take last week on the Nick Diaz situation and I stand by that Nick Diaz's situation was ridiculous and it was just a an over an overuse of of power by the Nevada State Athletic Commission and of course people are going to say yeah rich but you know there are rules and he broke them on a consistent basis. I understand that. And I and I'd willingly acknowledge that, but the fact is that marijuana usage in this country is being is changing at a record pace more and more countries i mean excuse me more and more states are allowing marijuana usage to become the norm and the acceptance of it as a you know as just something on par with cigarettes in 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 some states is is crazy you know and with that you have to look at it in 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 from the standpoint that this guy has a medical marijuana card he has it it's prescribed it's it's documented he has numerous documentation to to validate his usage of marijuana period like i said last week nobody should be shocked that nick diaz smokes weed so for the commission to be like oh blah 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 yes he pled the fifth sure he didn't want to answer your questions but at the end of the day you're looking at a guy who is being crucified for using something that yes in some in some circles is still viewed as as a recreational drug but the fact is you're looking at a guy who got popped for weed but the guy who was your champion that had metabolites in his system and nearly killed a woman oh you know we're just not going to talk about it that's that's the bigger problem you got guys juiced to the fucking gills whether they've been caught or not caught that had countless fights and countless success in the organization. But this guy smokes a joint and you want to, you want to hang him out to dry. It's, it's ridiculous. And with this Vitor TRT shit, it's even crazier because it's like, was he on it? Was he not on it? Did he have the exemption? Did he not have the exemption at this point? It doesn't even fucking matter because it's so far removed that he fought, he fought John Jones at UFC 152. He fought John Jones at UFC 152. We're, we're, we're not that far off from UFC 200. You know? And it doesn't matter. Jimbo Slice just said certain rules apply to certain people. Exactly. And that's exactly what really is becoming apparent. If the commission doesn't like you, they're going to find a way to get rid of you. If the UFC, do, if you don't play ball, the UFC is not going to help you. Simple as that. You don't play ball, the UFC turns the other cheek. Val says the Nevada State Athletic Commission called Dana. Dana said, fuck Nick, get him out of here. You never know. And that's the worst part. You never, ever know. Because so much shady shit goes on behind closed doors, whether it's in the UFC or the WWE or in any sport that that would not even shock me if it ever came out later on that that was the case. 
Simple as that. Anyway, let me move on. I want to talk about uh, a card that I'm really excited about this weekend. UFC Fight Night 75. It's going to take place in Saitama, Japan. Tremendous card. A lot of awesome fights on there. Your main event, Roy Nelson taking on the War Master, one of my favorites, Josh Barnett. I have a feeling that this fight, it's going to start on the feet and it's going to go to the ground very quickly. Josh Barnett, of course, a, a, a master catch wrestling practitioner, of course, going in there with Roy Nelson, who not only has the stand-up, but also has the Brazilian jiu-jitsu to really pose a problem for the war master. Really excited. Josh Barnett is really popular in Japan. I think that it's going to be a tremendous main event. And I think that whichever way it goes is definitely going to get either one of these guys a top five opponent sooner rather than later. On the co-main event side, Uriah Hall stepping up in competition to take on the dream catcher, Gegard Mousasi. Another fight that has fireworks written all over it. Uh, Mousasi, of course, is a guy that's always looked at as being one fight away from title contention. Uriah Hall is stepping in on short notice, but it's also a fight that if he secures victory is definitely going to put him on the road to title contention sooner rather than later. Also on that card, uh, Chico Camus is taking on Kyoji Horiguchi. Takeya Mitsugaki is fighting on that card, taking on George Roop. Uh, Kid Yamamoto is fighting on that card, taking on Matt Hobar. And Mizoki Hirota is taking on Teruto Ishihara. And that is the road to UFC Japan tournament final. Now, the prelims are going to be on Fox Sports 2. Uh, Diego Brandao is fighting Katsunori Kakuno. Uh, Lee Jing Yang is taking on Keita Nakamura. Also on that card, Nick Hine is taking on Yusuke Kasuya. Uh, Kajan Johnson is taking on Naoki Katani. And last but not least, on the Fight Pass prelims, uh, Roger Zapata is taking on Shinsho Anzai. So, a lot of representation for, for Japan on deck for that card, but the main card definitely has a lot of solid fights. Like I said, that Roy Nelson, Josh Barnett fight alone is worth tuning in for. Um, I'm excited. Like I said, for Uriah Hall, Gegard Musasi. Um, I like Uriah Hall, but he is taking the fight on short notice. I'm, I'm leaning towards Musasi in that fight. And I think, uh, Josh Barnett is going to, um, take the fight to the ground get a, a crazy submission out of nowhere and secure victory against Roy Nelson. If it goes to the ground, if it stays on the feet, I got it. You know, you got to give the edge to Roy Nelson. The guy has, you know, cinder blocks for fists. And most times he, he puts guys to sleep with relative ease. Josh Barnett. I, I really, I don't feel that his chin has been tested in the UFC to warrant him getting knocked out by, by Roy Nelson, but you never know. Anyway, with that said, that is going to wrap up this week's MMA. We're going to shift gears, jump into some pro wrestling. Uh, we're going to be talking about WWE's Night of Champions to get the ball rolling. We're going to talk about Raw and, of course, the wrestling news of the week. But before we get to that, Booker T, take us away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! So I want to start with WWE's Night of Champions, and here's here's the thing. 
a lot of a lot of crazy shit happened post night of champions. Obviously, I'm going to talk about Sting's injury, but I just felt that as a card overall, it 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 just didn't feel like a card that was worth watching. I'm sorry to say it. It just felt very paint by numbers. When I watched it, I said to myself, it really does feel like an episode of Raw. It really does. Like it feels not like a special event or a pay-per-view, but it just felt like an episode of Raw on a on a Sunday night. It's fucked up to say, but that's really how it felt. Nonetheless, I want to kind of go through the um, you know, I want to go through some of the stuff from Night of Champions. I'm not going to break down every match, but I definitely want to um you know, share share some thoughts on that. First, I want to talk about the opener, the kickoff match. It was Neville tagging with the Lucha Dragons against the Cosmic Wasteland, which was Cody Rhodes, of course, and the Ascension. My issues with this match are that not only was it rushed in terms of just building it and throwing it on the card, but you're leveraging two uh, two individuals that have an existing feud with Neville and uh, Stardust, but then you're also taking two teams that had feuds before and you're trying to make them relevant within the confines of this stable that you guys have put together. Now, in terms of wrestling, the match delivered. There was definitely a a lot of really, really great wrestling from Stardust and Neville, of course, and the Lucha Dragons who never fail to disappoint. But... Like I said, as a kickoff match, you could have used that match on Raw and it would have been fine and then maybe given us a singles match with Stardust and Neville to kind of build up towards something. But instead, you go, you throw that in there, you make that the opener. And I understand the purpose because you wanted to get the crowd red hot for the card. But it just I kind of feel that it was a demotion for Neville. I mean, you're taking a guy that was your your NXT champion you know a guy with an amazing finisher the crowd loves him kids are into the character and he's curtain jerking at this point he's just oh he's gonna be the guy that gets the ball rolling I just I just feel that it's a demotion for Neville and while his work with Stardust is good there should be something more at stake tag team titles IC belt US title something anything at this point just because it it feels like that's what's needed to make that feud mean something at this point. That's all I'm saying. The Intercontinental Championship match between Ryback and Kevin Owens, we knew that this was going to be a great opportunity for Ryback to work with a guy who can make him look better than he is. And I and I say this with no disrespect to Ryback. Ryback is a is a is a solid wrestler. He's got a good power game. He definitely works in there as best as possible. But if he's not in there with a guy that's capable of carrying him at least partially, his matches always look very mechanical, very robotic. And the problem is that it's partially because it always it always feels like Ryback isn't 100% comfortable with his own moveset. I'm being serious. Like, like the meat hook clothesline, the shell shock, all of that is, is stuff that he's good for, but there was definitely a lot that was lacking that's lacking in terms of just having his power game 
be a complete package. Now think about it. He's got the meat hook clothesline, which is good for a pop. He's got the shell shock finisher, but everything else is just essentially punch, kick, punch, kick. Maybe he'll do like the splash or something a little different. But even when he does, there's apprehension and the movement just doesn't feel natural. What they need to do with a guy like Ryback is you got to put him, you have to, and, and this is cliched as all fuck, but you have to borrow the way that Goldberg was booked in WCW. And when I say that, you see a lot of the stuff in there, you know, certain mannerisms, certain movements, uh, you know, delayed vertical suplex that he does on occasion. There are those moments. But what made Goldberg a household name was putting him in there for brief periods of time with guys that are capable of making his offense look good. Now, Jimbo Slice says that Ryback is, you know, he's not athletic. I, I, I can understand that that logic, but I, I want to... I want to paint a picture for you guys. Think of this. You take Goldberg. Goldberg, when he burst onto the scene, he he was an enigma. He was this guy that, you know, he came out in black elbow pads, black trunks, black boots, and he came, he didn't speak, and he was just devastating to watch. He, he had a powerful finisher. He had a powerful setup in the spear, and it just became an enigma, a force. And even when he finally started talking on the microphone, you were you always knew that when Goldberg came out, shit was going to get real quick. Regardless of his athletic ability or how people looked at him as a wrestler, there was something about Goldberg, the presentation, the, the theatricality, everything about him screamed, this guy is the real deal. The problem with Ryback is that you booked him like Goldberg and then you derailed it completely for that terrible heel turn where he was bullying everybody. And then you want to turn that full circle with this, you know, power of positivity, secret inspired, you know, promo work. And while I respect the passion in his promos, I feel that the booking and the way he's being put into certain matches and certain feuds is not allowing him to grow as a performer. Like, when he did the match with Seth Rollins, you saw that Ryback was forced to, you know, work a lot more than he normally does. And it led to a very, very competitive and surprisingly solid match. Now, putting him in there with Kevin Owens, you know that Kevin Owens is going to go in there and he's going to deliver a lot of great spots. He's going to eat a lot of offense, but it's going to look believable it's going to look promising it's going to look entertaining you know Val says just put him in the lower card to job to everyone and let Owens do his job you know what the problem is Ryback when you look at him you see a guy that is a that has a superstar look he does I'm not gonna lie you look at that guy the guy's a fucking superhero he's got the cool you know he's got the cool tights with you know the airbrush tights He's got solid music that gets people into it. His gimmick just needs a little fine-tuning. On top of the fact that you need to put him in there on a consistent basis with guys that can help him be better. I'm serious. Having him go out there and, and do a match with Bo Dallas 
is stupid. It's completely fucking dumb. Having him go out there and feud with the big show, again, useless. Because he learns nothing. And a lot of people are like, you know, Ryback, the the ship has sailed with Ryback. I disagree. And the reason I say this is because when Batista first came up to the main roster, he wasn't fucking polished either. But Batista had that look that when you looked at him, you're like, yo, this dude is a problem. And and Ryback, he has that look. Eh, Val says Batista could wrestle. <laughs> oh, better than Ryback. Yes, Batista could wrestle better than Ryback, but it did take time. Batista didn't come up to the main roster having five-star matches either. And, you know, an argument could be made. People are going to say, yeah, well, The Rock isn't exactly the best wrestler either. Yes, but The Rock can entertain the fuck out of anyone. Young, old, fucking middle-aged, teenager, kid, whatever the case may be, The Rock has something. The Rock can sell everything. Exactly, Val. Ryback has it. He just needs a little bit of fine-tuning. Maybe a manager. Maybe he needs a manager. Maybe he needs a more a more powerful finisher. Maybe there's that. Maybe he needs to be in a tag team with a performer that'll help hide his weaknesses. Maybe we want to go that route. You know? The way the way I see it is, and I and I joked about this before. If you put Ryback in a tag team with Big E, for instance, you know, they will Big E will hide all of Ryback's flaws. And Ryback can can shine as, as a tag team wrestler. I'm serious. I said this before. Take a tag team with Ryback and Big E, have them managed by Scott Steiner, and just call them the big guys and send them out there. You know, have Scott, have Scotty cut a 33 and a third promo with Big E and Ryback, and that's it. I, I It's so over the top and so crazy that it would work. You know, because... Putting, putting Ryback with Paul Heyman was a disaster just because it felt forced and it just it, it didn't work. It did not work. And that was partially because they rushed it. When, when, when Heyman was looking for a Heyman guy and you went with Ryback and Curtis Axel, it did nothing for either guy. And hell, when you put Ryback with Curtis Axel, the tag team was at least moderately entertaining, moderately being the case. Ryback is at a stage where you have to cultivate the character before making him more than what he is, which is a big guy with with, with cool tights. That's it. Beretta says you should put Ryback with Bull Dempsey. Absolutely the fuck not. I would never in a million years do that, ever, ever, ever. (laughs) <laughs> if 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 it was a matter of tag teams or ways to make Ryback successful, I'll be honest. I would either A, put him in a tag team with a big guy that can move and wrestle better than he can. That's A. B, give him a mouthpiece. Or C, make him an enforcer for another wrestler. Seriously, I would I would probably go with 
making him an enforcer for somebody else that you can then use him in tag team matches. I'm serious. At least until he gets better in the ring to where if he's not in there with Rollins, Owens, or Cesaro, he doesn't look like a, like a floundering fish in the ring. That's all I'm saying. In any case, the match itself was exactly as I predicted. Kevin Owens was going to get the belt, which is good for the IC title. I think it's, it's going to work with Kevin Owens as champion. But again, you're taking a guy, you're putting the IC title on him, much like John Cena, you need to ensure that he has a plethora of opponents. Obviously, opponent number one with a bullet is Cesaro. You could Opponent number two, you could probably do Adrian Neville. You can probably do a returning Sami Zayn if he gets the call up to the main roster. You could throw Dolph Ziggler in there. Hell, you could throw Rusev in there and give us some really good heel versus heel, uh, you know, a couple of heel versus heel feuds for the IC title. Make that belt mean something. Because if John Cena could do it with matches against everybody, Kevin Owens can do the same. Hell, you can even create a rivalry based on that where every time John Cena goes and has the U.S. Open Challenge and has a great match, Kevin Owens goes out and has an open challenge and has a great match. I'm serious. Why can't you make it work that way? It's, 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 it's not difficult. That's all I'm saying. All right, so I'm not going to talk about Dolph Ziggler and Rusev's match because the fact that these guys are, mute, are, are, are feuding over a woman when they should be feuding over a title is ridiculous. So I'm not even going to do it. I'm not even going to go down the fucking list. Instead, I want to talk about the always entertaining New Day and the Dudley Boys. couple of reasons why I want to talk about this match. The New Day, they are, they are right now at the top of the food chain when it comes to mic work, wrestling, and crowd control. These guys got it. They, they got it on lock. And it's funny because, like I've said before, they took a gimmick that was shit, spun the shit out of this gimmick, and just run with the ball. And they they really did a great job with that. Adding the trombone put them over the top, Donnie. I admit, tumbling with tumbleweeds, Don Anderson there joining us. Check him out on Blog Talk Radio as well. Um, it's crazy that you would have thought that the Dudley boys were a shoe in to win the titles. But of course the new day with their shenanigans retained, which was fine because in the grand scheme of things, it is inevitable that the Dudleys are going to get the belts. But I'll be honest, the new day with the belts or without the belts are entertaining. They've reached a level where the belts aren't even necessary for them to be in the, in, in the position that they're in. And I've said this before, there are people that thrive and need the belts, and there are wrestlers that can be successful and, and, and be better than they are, and they don't even need a title. I'm serious. When you look at some wrestlers like Cesaro, Cesaro's a great wrestler, but he needs a title. A title is important for his character because it allows him to have something to be fighting for, period. The New Day, they're entertaining, they're over the top, they're crazy. They can chase the belts for six months, and it could be just as entertaining as if they were champions for six months. The resurgence of the WWE Tag Team division is doing nothing but helping these guys. Their work with the primetime players, their work with the Dudley Boys, their work with the Lucha Dragons, 
It's all been solid from start to finish. If I can have, if I have one complaint, it's that Xavier Woods doesn't get enough ring time. That's it. Yeah, I understand you need a guy out there playing the trombone, but Xavier Woods is a good wrestler, and Big E has created enough of a of a, of an interest that he could be on the outside, and Kofi and Xavier Woods can wrestle as well, and it would be just as good. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, I want to talk about the Divas Championship match because none of us should be shocked that Charlotte was going to win. Like I said, Nikki Bella broke the record. So at that point, everything that needed to be established was established, and the match itself was surprisingly solid. Again, Nikki Bella's going into the territory where she can't carry a match on her own, but if you put her in there with a good opponent, you're going to get a match that's at least decently enjoyable. And that's what that match was. Everything about that match was pretty paint-by-numbers. A lot of the spots were to be expected. But the match just looked cohesive on paper, which is good because at the end of the day, you don't want to see a disjointed... You don't want to see a disjointed match. You know, you want to see a match where the chemistry is there, the storytelling is there, and the narrative is is easy enough to understand where here's the champion. She's been champ for 300 days. Here's the upstart that comes from a legendary family that is trying to dethrone the champion and take the division into another level. Boom, that was it. Great narrative, easy to digest, and above all, good storytelling in the ring. There was definitely a lot of good storytelling. Um, I definitely think Charlotte, while she was good in this match, Charlotte works better, like I said, with with, with talent like Sasha Banks, Bailey even Becky Lynch because you're getting some 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 more you're getting more chain wrestling you're getting better spots but that's not a, a dig at Nikki Bella because Nikki Bella's improved I got to admit I've always said especially over the last 3 months or so Nikki Bella's improved Brie Bella has just regressed she's gone backwards and is just a a a, a shittier wrestler now than she was in the beginning she had some shades of of improvement but Obviously, that is no longer the case. The um, the Roman Reigns Dean Ambrose match against the Wyatts was it had there was a lot going on. First of all, another fan jumped the ring, jumped, hopped the rail, got in the ring, and pretty much once again, just safety and security were not even a factor. <laughs> Because this is not the first time that this has happened. We had the guy that hopped the railing that everybody thought was going to stab, Dean Ambrose. We got Roman Reigns getting hit with a Money in the Bank briefcase. We got the guy that hopped out and walked out with Seth Rollins. Then you got this weird guy that hopped the ring in, in full shield regalia. Nobody knew who he was. And it's just there needs to be, be there need to be better safety standards in place because this is becoming way too way too common and above all it's putting superstars and fans at risk because you don't know what these guys intentions are um the 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 punishment for this guy's involvement I'll address later on in the segment cuz he did get punished for his actions but again it was just something that was so random so crazy that it just showed that safety and security need to get bumped up especially when you're getting situations like the guy getting shot outside the performance center, the guy who did have a weapon on him 
when he he came out to approach Dean Ambrose. There's just a lot of shit going on. I mean, it, it was a few years ago when I saw the late Eddie Guerrero and Rob Van Dam have the ladder match, and the guy hopped the railing and toppled the ladder with Eddie on it, and Eddie Guerrero actually whooped that guy's ass. And you know what the problem is with that? Sure, we all would like to see the wrestlers kick these guys' asses. But again, you don't know what these guys got on them. Knives, pepper spray, who knows? You know, it, it could be a, a bigger safety risk. It, it could be a bigger safety risk than is necessary versus just having better security at these venues. As for the match itself, the match was, it was solid. I mean, the big reveal was Chris Jericho as the, the partner and the match itself wasn't bad. On the contrary, uh, we had good ring work from everybody. Even Roman Reigns looked pretty good out there. Uh, Braun Strowman is hes a good addition to the Wyatt family, but you can see that his ring work is very, very basic. Not that that's a bad thing because he's being used in a limited capacity, but if you want to get him in there with performers that are that are more on his level you definitely got to get that guy in the ring and, and get him seasoned a bit more. Again, he didn't look terrible out there. He was working a very basic style, but I think that in the long run, if you want to continue this feud, you're going to need to maximize that particular performer because when you look at Braun Strowman, you see that that's a guy that in the future will be a very, very solid, solid guy on a solo push. Definitely, he has a good look. Uh, he has an awesome, just a, a, a crazy look about him that works in, in, the, in the capacity that he's being used in. But like everything else, eventually creative's going to want to use that guy in a, so, in a solo environment. They tried to do it with Luke Harper, and they even tried to do it with Eric Rowan. And even though it kind of bombed with Eric Rowan, Luke Harper as a solo wrestler was doing pretty well, man. I think the guy has, has a great look. And it was funny that it was mentioned in the chat about creating the next Kane or the next Undertaker. And if there's anybody that fits that mantra, anybody that fits that mold, it's Luke Harper. Luke Harper is a very, very talented performer, both in the ring and out of the ring. His mic work is good when he's allowed to speak. His ring work is tremendous. And he's probably one of the best big guys currently wrestling. Out of, you know, going through, like, I if I used to, I used to say that in the old days you had, you know, The Undertaker, Kane, Mark Henry, The Big Show, you know, you know, you had a lot of big, you had a lot of big guys that, that were easily looked at as guys that were capable of just being a presence for the foreseeable future. The problem with that is that when you look at these guys, a lot of their careers were cut short. A lot of them were just booked in terrible pro, in terrible um, feuds and angles and gimmicks, and you just can't erase a lot of that. One one thing in particular, and I'll address it on Raw, is what's happening with the Big Show. It's just it's just too late at this point. But Braun Strowman, he's he is unmolded clay at this point. If you get him in there, you have him work in NXT, you have him really fine tune his craft. You have yourself a credible big guy that will genuinely be a scary dude that comes out. You're like, oh, shit. Like what they did with Luke Harper. Luke Harper is exactly that. He's He has the look. His wrestling is complete. His mic work is solid. 
It's just he right now it works with Bray Wyatt. The dynamic is perfect, but eventually they're going to want to revisit a solo run. And Luke Harper definitely has the tools to be the quote unquote next Kane. Simple as that. John Cena and Seth Rollins U.S. title match was as good as could be expected. Again, these guys, they have that chemistry, that rivalry that works. You know, when, when The Rock would get in there with Stone Cold Steve Austin, you knew you were getting an entertaining match. When The Rock got in there with Triple H, you knew you were getting a stellar match. It was happening because those are those rivalries that can't be ignored. When CM Punk and John Cena got in the ring, you knew you were in for an amazing match. And it's no different with Rollins and Cena. Say what you will about John Cena and his five moves of doom and cookie cutter gimmick. But when the guy when the guy needs to step it up a notch in the ring, he does and it works. And I knew for a fact that Seth Rollins was dumping that belt and John Cena was going to get it only because John Cena's removal from the main event scene has done nothing but help the U.S. title and the mid card as a whole. Every guy that's been in the ring with John Cena during his run with the U.S. title brought out good things out of Cena, but also worked with what is a bona fide first ballot Hall of Famer. Simple as that. Like Val just says, Cena put in work when he's in there with Rollins. 100%. 100%. And, and it was good, man. It was, it, was a, it was a great match. Now, I want to talk about Rollins' match with Sting for a couple of reasons. There was a nostalgic part of me, and I say this purely from the sake of nostalgia, that would have liked to have seen Sting win, even if it was for him to lose it on Monday. And the reason I say this is because you take a guy who was an icon, the the face of WCW, you bring him in, and you book him like shit. You know, he, he, you, Triple H, he puts over Triple H at WrestleMania. Okay, he becomes this enigma, this vigilante, this whatever you want to call it. And rather than do something meaningful, you have him steal Seth Rollins statue and you put him in the ring with a guy who's infinitely more athletic than he is. And in turn, it forces Sting to step his game up and nearly become crippled in the process. I'm serious. You take a guy who's, a, who's a, again, a veteran, an older wrestler. You put him in there with a guy who is, again, the future of this business. And you know that the veteran is going to try his hardest to keep up with, with, the, with the younger performer. And you have to ask yourself, is it worth the risk of, of, of a guy like Sting getting injured for the sake of giving Rollins, uh, you know, a, a victory? And here's my thing. You mean to tell me that in the roster that is there, there's nobody viable at this point, excuse me, to challenge Seth Rollins for the belt? Again, no disrespect to Sting, but you're putting him in there with a guy like Rollins. He's going to step his game up. And think about some of the spots. He got thrown through the announce table. He did the crossbody to the outside. He, he, he ate the turnbuckle powerbomb which allegedly is what got what was resulted in him getting injured. The fact is that the match, it ended in a roll-up, and you can tell right away that something was wrong. 
You can tell. You can tell that something was wrong. As the match progressed, I said to myself, something is amiss. Sting is hurt or or something's wrong with this match that it's not moving as fluid as it was at the beginning. And sure enough, Sting was injured. Listen, I understand it's a WCW guy. You don't want to put him over because whatever. But if you went to the great lengths to sign this guy, to bring him on board, let him win the belt on a pay-per-view that doesn't mean shit. I'm serious. Let him come, let him win, and then he'll lose it Monday. That's all you got to do. The authority could execute some sort of a rematch and have Sting lose the belt Monday. That's it. Instead, you put him in there in this match where he has to where he has to work harder than he should and the guy jeopardizes his career. For what? To to put Rollins over? Rollins doesn't need to be put over by anyone. On the contrary, what you need to stop doing is letting Rollins win his matches by hook or by crook. You should let the guy's natural ability shine from top to bottom. There shouldn't be shenanigans, interference, and all kinds of shit when Seth Rollins is con- is involved. He should be a guy that is out to prove himself as being the best. Yes, I understand shenanigans are, are, are part of being a heel, but he doesn't have to be booked like a complete bitch all the time. It's not necessary for his character. It's not. You know? Like Val just said, shenanigans leading up to the pay-per-view then kills you dead at the pay-per-view. Like how Triple H used to do it. I agree 100%. It, there's no necessity for that. None whatsoever. Now look, Sting may never wrestle again. Even if he's not injured in a capacity where, where it's going to hinder him in the future, WWE is going to be very apprehensive about letting him back in the ring, even if he wants to wrestle. I'm, I'm serious. What harm would there have been if Sting would have won for one night? None. I'm serious. None. It wouldn't have hurt anybody. Because Rollins is that kind of a guy. And who knows? Maybe he would have dropped the belt. Then you could have set up down the road Sting and The Undertaker. And Sting would have retired, gone into the Hall of Fame. Done. That's it. Instead, what we get is the match that we got where Sting nearly got fucking crippled and Rollins retained and nothing was accomplished. Nothing. Nothing was gained. Nothing was accomplished. And like I said, it was just a a paint-by-numbers pay-per-view and you jeopardize the guy who is a bona fide first ballot Hall of Famer for what? Nothing. I'm serious. Nothing. What What did you accomplish? Oh look, we buried WCW. We 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 buried their last remaining superstar. Who gives a shit? You ask a kid a 15 you ask a kid age 15 to let, I'll give you a better one. Ask a kid from 12 to 17 what they know about WCW and they'll only tell you that it's probably whatever the WWE has told you about WCW. Kids nowadays don't give a shit. Like, kids are cheering Sting, and the only reason they're cheering him is because they watch the network. They're consuming what WWE wants you to see. But 
instead of of celebrating the guy's career and 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 allowing him to go out with a last hurrah, no, we got to stamp we got to stamp down on the grave of WCW because you know bitter. It, it it's really that, it, and people don't understand it. It's like the Attitude Era will never be replicated ever again, ever. I'll tell you why. The, the, the public nowadays are complete pussies and the WWE is a different type of company now than it was during the Attitude Era. They are a live events juggernaut. They're a company with their own network. They have to answer to sponsors. They have to answer to, to shareholders. That, that means that we're not going to see, you know, uh, GTV or old ladies giving births to hands or Triple H having sex with a dead body in a coffin. We're not going to see any of that shit. Not going to see it. So with that said, why don't you take the guys that help build this brand, that help build this business, and, and, and treat them with a little bit more dignity? I'm serious, because you made Sting look like a bitch. For what? For Vince to, for Vince to stroke his ego? Oh, look. The stinger is dead. Fuck you, Ted Turner. Like, what does that what does that mean? What does that mean in the grand scheme of things? And I want to ask people in the chat straight up. If Sting would have won the belt for one night and lost it the following night, would you have been annoyed about that? And I'm serious, I want genuine answers. Because again, for me, not a big fucking deal. It's not. Anyway, let's switch gears and jump into Raw because Raw had its fair share of fuckery as well. Um, first and foremost, the the opening promo with the Wyatt family and Reigns and Ambrose was surprisingly solid. I like the the Hatfields and McCoys analogy that has unfolded as a result of this feud. I think we're seeing really, really good wrestling from both guys, you know? And the fact is that you need a third guy to to move this feud to the next level. Obviously, the, the issue between Reigns and Bray Wyatt is, is the main focal point, and that will always be there. But you need something for Ambrose to do in the process, you know? <laughs> Jimbo Slice says that would have pissed me off. Hate Sting. He sucks. <laughs> hey, at least he's honest. At least he's honest. Beretta says I would have been annoyed with a quick title change, but good on Sting winning the title. Okay. Like I said, it wouldn't have bothered me if he would have lost it the next night. If if Vince McMahon would have came out with a flamethrower and set Sting on fire the next night to vacate the title and award it to Seth Rollins, it's okay. I would have been all right with that. Damn it. Damn it, you son of a bitch. Burn. Burn, you son of a bitch. Because that's that's what would have happened. He would have just came out and set him on fire. <laughs> that's, that's what would have happened. Anyway, so Roman Reigns has his little promo. Him and the Wyatt start fighting, blah, blah, blah. Then before you know it, Randall comes out. And he ends up being the quote-unquote third man 
in this situation because, you know, Bray Wyatt took him out, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the problem. Randy Orton doesn't need to be in a feud with the Wyatts. Why? Because nobody gives a fuck about Randy Orton. I hate to say it, but it's true. If Randy Orton should be involved in anything, it's maybe feuding with a guy like Kevin Owens for the IC title and getting a good match in. Randy Orton going in there and trying to have a good match with a guy like Luke Harper is is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's not happening. So throwing him in the mix for the sake of of moving the angle along, eh, it, it wasn't. It wasn't what worked for me. Anyway, so I want to talk about the Kane situation because as many of you know, during Night of Champions, Sheamus attempted to cash in and he was interrupted by, oh my God, the demon Kane. And Kane came out, killed Seth Rollins. Sheamus went to cash in. Sheamus got killed. And then Monday, it's like, hi, it's director of operations Kane. You know what it felt like? A direct TV commercial. Hi, I'm Demon Kane, and I am Director of Operations Kane. I have Direct TV, and I have cable. That's what it fucking felt like. Listen, the multiple personality gimmick gets old really fucking quick. All I have to say is TNA with Abyss and Joseph Park. Exactly the same shit we saw with them is what we're doing with Kane. Nobody cares. Do we really need... So let me get this straight. You keep the belt on Seth Rollins so that he can feud with fucking Kane? I'm serious. You put the belt, you leave Seth Rollins with the belt so he can feud with Kane. Listen to this, guys. Kane... <laughs> oh man you know like that's that's the thing that like it's, it's just stupid <laughs> here's here's the thing with Kane I've said it before Kane was probably one of the best big guys they had one of the most agile big guys they had with one of the coolest gimmicks back then Kane trying to be in the main event now is horseshit. you know what Kane should be he should be William Regal's assistant on NXT. That's what Kane should be. Kane should be a fucking manager. We don't need Kane wrestling. We don't need Nick Kane coming out from the from the bottom of the ring, dragging people to hell. Give me a fucking break. Nobody wants to see that. Fucking Kane. It's like, listen, the multiple personality gimmick is stupid. It didn't work for Abyss. It's not going to work with Kane. The same way they tried to do have Kane go crazy when you used to say, I think it was May 13th, when they were pushing See No Evil. I'm like, come on. On top of the fact that Kane is trying to be like super nice, and it just looks, it just looks ridiculous. Oh, my mask? I don't know. I don't know where my mask is. It's like, all right, we got it. You're scary, and you don't know what the fuck is going on. We got it. Fuck out of here. Stupid. It was stupid, the ending, and it was stupid the way it was done, and the fact that we're possibly going to be stuck with him feuding with Seth Rollins is just absurd. 
absurd in every sense of the word. Anyway, we got ourselves a Cody Rhodes and Ascension rematch against Neville and the Lucha Dragons. Um, of course, the Lucha Dragons got the victory this time. At the at this, it's like, oh hey, we're gonna have the guys that should have won win on Raw because plot advancement. <laughs> like, oh look, the guys that should have won didn't, but we're gonna have them win on one on Monday because fuck you guys. Like that's really it. Like it was just creative saying, yeah, this, that's it, this. <laughs> that's what they. That's what we got. So. We got Ryback and Bo Dallas because, you know, nothing nothing is more entertaining than Bray Wyatt light in a diaper getting his ass whooped by Ryback and Kevin Owens looking on not giving a shit as usual. Um, I, I really don't care about Bo Dallas. I don't. I feel that whatever success he had in NXT was exactly that, success in NXT. In terms of whatever they're trying to do with him on the main roster... None of it is working. None of it works. None of it None of it is, is even needed at this point. Why the fuck didn't you just put him with the Wyatt family, put him with his brother, and keep it moving? It would have worked. It would have been okay. It would have been all right. But no, instead, it's like the Bo Leave, Tim Tebow shtick. It, it, it's run its course. It's fun to watch Ryback whoop his ass, but... It could have been better served putting somebody else in that match. I'm serious. We got we got the page heel turn. I mean, whatever. It's uh, here's here's the one thing she did. The the uh, the internet is calling it the page bomb. Uh, very good promo work from Paige. But again, even Stevie Wonder saw this heel turn coming weeks ago. Hell, I thought she was gonna turn right after Night of Champions when Charlotte won the belt. So. The only thing that works with Paige being a heel is the fact that Paige is not a performer that needs to be in a group. She's the, you know, she's the black sheep. She's anti-establishment. The minute that they put her in a group, I said, she's going to be the one that's going to turn. It's, it's obvious. Now all I need is for Sasha Banks to leave Team Bad and go out on her own, and we'll be okay. We will be all right. Because like I said, Sasha Banks is slowly turning into a, into J-A-B-C, which I said, for those of you that don't know, just another black chick. So that's what's happening. It's like they're booking Team Bad as if, you know, they're, they're just there. No clear direction, no aspirations. Hell, even Paige said it in the promo. It's like all flash and no substance. That's exactly what's happening. It's fucking true. It's like, hey, look, you got Naomi. She's incredibly agile, and she's incredibly athletic, but we're just going to have her defeat people with a flying ass attack. Because, you know, that's a finisher. That's what we're going to go with. She is going to run up off the ropes and use the rear view as a finisher. If I wanted to get myself fired by WWE, when she hits you with that finisher, I'd just laugh. I'd fall on the floor and laugh and get fired. If I were if I were in the in that division and wanted to be to, to be fucking canned, I'm serious. I would no sell it and just be like, <laughs> "What a stupid move!" Because it is. You have this incredibly athletic, attractive African American female, 
And the only thing about her that's memorable is that her fucking shoes glow. That's it. Oh, hey, have you seen Naomi wrestle? Who's Naomi? Oh, the chick with the shoes. That's what I heard this week. I'm serious. Talking about wrestling at work? Oh, is she the one with the glowing shoes? Is she the one married to one of the Usos? Nothing else. Zero. Nothing. There was nothing. Of, there, there's nothing that's been done with Naomi in the last six months that sets her apart from any other diva. <laughs> that's it. Nothing. Glowing shoes. That's the that's the most um, that's the most impressive thing that they've done with her. Hey, we're gonna give you glowing shoes. Why? I don't know. Here, glowing shoes. It's pointless. It is fucking pointless. And that's what that's what's been bugging me about the Divas Revolution. The the page promo was perfect because it acknowledged all the shit that all of us have been saying, with the exception of Charlotte. The Charlotte thing, Charlotte needed to win that belt. Needed to happen. Needed to happen to move the the uh to move the division forward. Needed to be done. Simple as that. In any case, uh, Charlotte wrestled against Brie Bella in a match that was about as entertaining as watching paint dry. And the reason I say this is because, like I said, Brie Bella's wrestling is shit. Shit. I could have a better wrestling match with ultimate muscle figures from a vending machine than watching a Brie Bella match. I can have a better match with more storytelling with old 1985 WWE thumb wrestlers than what we saw on Raw with Brie Bella. I don't understand it. I don't know if it's that Daniel Bryan's not there to to coach her or maybe she's just checked out and doesn't want to do it anymore. I, I got no idea, but man, are her matches fucking shit. Shit is what they are. Yeah. <sighs> You, if, if by ring rust Val, you mean since she fucking got signed with WWE, then yes, that bitch got permanent ring rust. Permanent. Permanent. Her ring gear should just be fucking orange at this point with all the ring rust that we're, that she may have. She She's just abysmal in the fucking ring. At least Nikki Bella's improved somewhat. I don't know if she's improved because John Cena's been laying the pipe or because she's actually watching tape and becoming better. Either way, Brie Bella, who you thought would have been the better wrestler, is the one who is now the shitty wrestler. It's exactly that. Val goes, I thought Brie was the one who could wrestle. Exactly. We thought. (laughs) She used to be better. Thank you, Slick. (laughs) She used to be. Anyway, I don't want to talk about Sheamus and Mark Henry because fuck both those guys. Fuck creative for ruining Mark Henry and Sheamus because... It's Seamus. Nobody gives a shit. Anyway, the New Day and Rusev had a very, very solid match with the Dudley Boys and Dolph Ziggler. Again, the New Day continued to impress. I I really liked that when Rusev came out, they were trying to get him all hyped up and shit. It was ridiculous. Um, Rusev continues to improve in the ring and become a better performer. But the problem is that, again, much like other wrestlers, he needs a title of some sort. You know, involving him in a program with Cesaro and Kevin Owens and those guys for the IC title would benefit him more than feuding with Dolph Ziggler over Lana, who can't even be on television because her wrist is broken. 
So there you have it. Simple as that. <laughs> Rusev needs no title. Why do you say that, Val? That motherfucker needs help. Rusev Udria, Rusev Pachka. You know, it's like you can only come out and make but so many sandwiches and sell so many quarter waters before you wrestle. Rusev works at at, at Springfield Deli, Val. That's where Rusev works. He works behind the counter Monday through Friday and then goes on Raw later on. (laughs) That's what Rusev does. Rusev is a straight-up counter worker at a deli. (laughs) Beretta says Rusev versus a winning gimmick. Val says, Rusev used to sell me cigarettes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. There, there it is. Anyway, match was pretty good. Natalia and Naomi was just... Ugh. I can't. I can't even. It's, it, it, it was just shit. It really was like... That's, that's, that's what it was. You know, Naomi, Naomi doing the job. It's like, oh, look, Natalia. Natalia's still here. Good job. <laughs> Val says it wasn't that bad. It, listen, the wrestling was fine, but the fact is that there's no direction, zero direction for, for, for either of these performers, zero. And yes, it, she was better than Eva Marie, but I, I'm, t- I'm telling you right now, I'm, a, a, a person with no arms and no legs will have a better match than Eva Marie. Stephen Hawking can have a better match than Eva Marie. Period. Everyone can have a better match than Eva Marie. You're welcome. Anyway. Here's here's the one that, that really annoyed the shit out of me. It was Cesaro and the Big Show. Because we all know that the Big Show has a date with Brock Lesnar at Madison Square Garden in October. We know this. No one cares. Move along. So, in order to make Big Show look like he's actually a threat, actually someone that's worth being in the ring with, we're just going to have Cesaro get jobbed out to the Big Show. A guy who has a ton of potential gets jobbed out to the Big Show to make the Big Show look strong for a match with Brock Lesnar, which we all know is going to be a glorified ass-whooping. Why did that have to happen? Why was it even necessary? It wasn't. It was stupid. Slick says it should be Cesaro versus Lesnar. Dude, I would fucking mark out immediately for that match. That match would be good for a multitude of reasons. Cesaro would make Lesnar look amazing. And Lesnar, of course, would be, you know, would be typical Lesnar. But there might even be some genuine wrestling. Not just Brock Lesnar German suplexing everybody everywhere. And then F5 and calling it a day. And that's the problem. After the big show beat Cesaro and people were chanting Suplex City. And he goes, my ass is too big to go to Suplex City. That, my friends, means challenge accepted. That means that Brock Lesnar is going to German suplex the big show at Madison Square Garden. That's all that is. Challenge accepted. It is going to be that. 
that's what you're going to get. Suplexes out the wazoo with the Big Show getting dropped on his fucking stupid big-ass head, and that's it. I was just upset that you would feed Cesaro to the Big Show and accomplish nothing. Oh, I'm a giant! You are a giant piece of shit. Get the fuck off my television. Anyway, so Seth Rollins and John Cena had their United States Champion rematch. Um, definitely like the frog splash from Seth Rollins. Nice little homage to nice little homage to Eddie Guerrero. Uh, the match itself was good. It really succeeded in accomplishing nothing, though, other than sending the crowd home happy. And um, Kane coming out from the bottom of the ring. And yeah, you know, it's like, oh, look, Kane came out of the ring for the 85th time and is dragging Seth Rollins to hell. It's like, if by hell you mean a shitty ass feud, then yes, Kane dragged Seth Rollins to a shitty ass feud. That's what that meant. Simple as that. Raw as a whole for a post pay-per-view edition was pretty decent. Uh, It had a couple of high points, a fair amount of low points, but we'll see what happens. Anyway, Let's jump into the remaining wrestling news of the week and wrap things up. So first thing, and I was going to save this for our entered MMA, uh, excuse me, our entered gaming and entertainment show, but I figured I would share it with you guys. You guys know that we did a giveaway not too long ago for the Flintstones and WWE DVD and Blu-ray. Well, it looks like WWE is going to continue riding that wave of momentum and we are going to see the WWE crossover with the Jetsons. That's going to be the next animated film. Of course, this joins the WWE and Scooby-Doo, WWE and the Flintstones. Now we will see WWE and the Jetsons. No release date for the film as of yet, but that is the next animated crossover with the WWE superstars. Of course, kids eat this stuff up. Um, A lot of people, a lot of kids watch the one with them and the Flintstones, the one with Scooby-Doo. So it was, I, I kind of expected that to happen with the Jetsons. I just didn't think it would happen this soon, but yes, WWE will be crossing over with the Jetsons. As soon as I get a release date, those of you with kids will definitely be, you know, should be on the lookout for it because as soon as I get it, I will share it with you guys. Interesting rumor floating around as of late, uh, that Carlito may be returning to the WWE now, if you guys remember, Carlito was released and um, he hasn't worked for WWE since 2010 when he was released for violating the wellness policy and refusing to go to rehab. Now, the reasoning that the reason that Carlito is back on WWE's radar is because he's been obviously working on the independence, working a lot in Puerto Rico, and they feel that Carlito may be the quote unquote next big Latino superstar that they can build. Here's the here's my thing. You tried it with Del Rio, didn't work. The only the only success you tried it with Sin Cara, that didn't work. You tried it with Los Mat- with Los Matadores, didn't work. Here's what you got to do: take the Lucha Dragons, who are I don't know both Hispanic, and build those guys. Kalisto alone can be built as the next big Latino superstar. He's got the moveset. He's got the look. Kids love the masks. It is a no-brainer. That's not to say that I wouldn't wouldn't be pumped to see Carlito back on TV, but again, 
if you're going to have him come out and spit apples in people's faces, back then it was kind of edgy. Now it's just going to be stupid. Don't do it. If you're going to bring him in and you're going to build him as a legit dude, then I'd be interested to see it. But if you're going to build him as the typical stereotype that you had him as before, then don't waste your time and instead focus your energies on the guys that you got, namely the Lucha Dragons, and build those guys up. Because like I said, Kalisto and Sin Cara can definitely be built up as the next superstars for the Latino audience. It is easy as fucking pie. They got the gear. They got the look. They got the moveset. It's a no-brainer. Simple as that. This next bit of wrestling news is a bit, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit morbid and a bit messed up. It involves Kurt Angle's brother, not Eric Angle, but um, what the hell is his name? Uh, David. Um, it seems that David Angle was arrested for murdering his wife, which is crazy. Uh, police responded to a domestic disturbance at 624. They found uh, Kurt Angle's uh, 50, uh, Kurt Angle's brother, David, and Donna Angle, which is David Angle's wife, who was found unresponsive on the floor. She was taken to a local hospital and pronounced dead. Um, it seems that according to what David Angle said, uh, him and his wife were in the living room at 3 a.m. when his wife offered him vodka. According to the complaint, uh, he said that he allegedly refused. She continued to badger him about drinking with her, at which point allegedly it escalated. Now, what they're saying is that Angle allegedly grabbed both of her arms, pushed her off the couch, and put his foot on her chest and then pulled. So essentially, he grabbed both her arms, put his foot on her chest, and then pulled, and then she was, quote-unquote, unresponsive. He tried to revive her and called 911. It's a, it's a terrible and unfortunate story, and... Um, it's it's crazy. It's it's crazy. I mean, Kurt Angle is has already you know he's he's had his own issues with substance abuse. Uh, he's currently rehabbing injuries before heading back to TNA. His other brother Eric is, I believe, still married to Nydia from Tough Enough, and um, you know his brother his brother David now going to jail for murder. It's it's fucking crazy, dude. Like for you to put your foot on someone's chest. And pull both their arms. It's it's like we're not we're not having a dispute at this point. I am trying to fucking kill you. That's that's really it. There's no there's no dispute or escalation. It is me killing you. And again, I'm not making light of the situation, but I'm serious. All oh, the argument escalated, and he said that she tried to kick him, and he grabbed both her arms and pulled her off the couch. But okay, she tried to kick you. You pulled her off the couch, but. At which point did it become a good idea to put your foot on her chest and then pull her arms? Hmm. Where where did that fit in? Where did that scream, hey, this is a good idea? Because I'm looking at it and I'm like, yeah, not so much. <laughs> Definitely not. Anyway, WWE's next pay-per-view is Hell in the Cell. And WWE has announced that it will be Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker in Hell in the Cell on October 25th in Los Angeles. So, with that said, this is why Brock Lesnar is doing all this stuff. Aside, besides him wrestling the Big Show at MSG and showing up on the Stone Cold Podcast, which is going to be a very, very 
interesting addition to want to tune into. Clearly because, if I remember correctly, Stone Cold ended up leaving WWE because he did not want a job, quote-unquote, to Brock Lesnar back in the day. So I'm curious to see how that interview goes and how Brock Lesnar's appearance um, turns out. Obviously, there's definitely going to be a lot of stuff that they're not going to address, but I'm going to be curious to see if that even gets brought up. In any case, I'm curious to see Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker one more time in Hell in the Cell. Hopefully, this will be the last time we see that match. And um, yeah, October 25th. So mark it down on your calendar. We got some updates with regards to Sting's injury, which allegedly, like I said, stemmed from the turnbuckle powerbomb. As it turns out, doctors did a CAT scan on Sunday night, according to TMZ, and determined that there were no fractures. Sting was released from the hospital on Monday afternoon, and he went home. Allegedly, um, they said that he is able to walk, but is in significant pain. Now, if you guys remember, Sting was scheduled to be on Raw on Monday night, but after being released from the hospital, he opted to go home instead. As I said, it's going to be very interesting to see exactly to what extent Sting is injured, excuse me, and if we will see him in a WWE ring ever again. We're going to be watching that story very, very closely. And some news that got me very pumped as soon as I read it, Lucha Underground is coming back for season two. Uh, Mark Burnett and the L Raid Network made the announcement official in a press release, and they will start filming uh, fourth quarter 2015 with an early 2016 premiere on the L Ray Network. I can only hope that when that happens, I finally have the L Ray Network on files and don't have to watch Lucha Underground in Spanish. Because not that I mind watching it in Spanish, but I would prefer to watch it live instead of waiting for the episode to be released on Saturday. So again, very hyped for that. Looking forward to Lucha Underground. And as soon as that gets the ball rolling, we will, of course, be talking about it at length on RageWorks. If you have the El Rey Network and have been watching Lucha Underground thus far, would love to know what you guys think and what you guys are looking forward to seeing in Season 2. I personally, after Season 1 wrapped up with Mil Muertes and the Disciples of Death essentially capturing all the belts in Lucha Underground. I'm curious to see where the story goes from there. Um, They had such a great roster of talent that um, there's a lot of favorites that I really hope to see again. Uh, Drago, of course, Prince Puma, um, definitely a fan of um, Sexy Star. She's awesome in the ring, probably one of the better performers. Ivalice, of course, Son of Havoc, Angelico, all of them great performers. I I particularly am curious to see what they do with Alberto Del Rio and if the rumors are true that Rey Mysterio will be joining Lucha Underground as well. 2016 is going to be very interesting. As I said, new episodes are going to start being taped in the fourth quarter of 2015, and we'll see how they shape up in 2016 and who comes back and who is no longer part of the roster. Now, to close things out, I wanted to update you guys on what happened to the guy that hopped the railing and went into the ring at the Night of Champions pay-per-view. According to BW Insider, it has been reported that 37-year-old Oscar Ramirez was charged with criminal trespass of property with no forced entry. Ramirez pled guilty to the charge and got 10 days in jail. If he wouldn't have pled guilty, the case would have gone to trial and he could have been sentenced to as long as six months 
behind bars. WWE did release a statement with regards to that that said, and I quote, WWE takes the safety of our performers very seriously, and any fan entering the ring area will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. After that, I'm sure nobody's going to, people are going to think twice if there's going to be jail time involved, but besides that, besides the threat of jail time, you need to have a stronger security presence, and I wouldn't be shocked if within the next six months or so, Roman Reigns walking through the crowd becomes a thing of the past. Because if shit like this continues, it is inevitable that somebody's going to do something during Roman Reigns' walk through the crowd that's going to, that's, you know, it's it's definitely a, a begging for an issue. And I would probably opt to no longer do that. But again, we'll see what happens. In any case, the guy that hopped the rail 10 days in the, in, in, in the clink and um, he would have got six months in jail otherwise. Anyway. That's going to be the last news item to wrap up the wrestling segment for this week. With that, let's go to the wrap-up. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 316, which broadcasts live Wednesday, September 23rd, 2015. I've given you my take on MMA and wrestling this week. I'd love to hear yours. Hit us up on social media. MTR can be found on Twitter at my take radio. You can also reach out via RageWorks at rage underscore works. You can also become a fan on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks. We also have accounts on Pinterest, Google plus the usual social media outlets. If you're on Instagram, you can follow me there. RageWorks underscore rich. We are also on Periscope. So if you are a Periscope user, Look for RageWorks on Periscope. We're going to be doing more Periscope events when we start going into the event season in October, so keep an eye out for that. Archived episodes of the show. For audio, you can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Video archives are available on our two YouTube channels, My Take Radio TV and Official RageWorks. We're also starting to put them on Daily Motion as well. Again, episodes are usually up, uploaded between 24 to 48 hours after the live broadcast, so keep an eye out for that. And you can find them in the areas that I just mentioned. And, of course, all content will be posted on RageWorks.net as well. If you want to get a mobile fix of My Take Radio, you can find the official My Take Radio app on iTunes, Amazon Android Marketplace, and in the Windows App Store. That app will run you $199. It gets you 96K stereo, mobile wallpapers, and other exclusive content that is released on the app first before being released to the general public. This includes the Minority Film Report, My Take Radio Beyond the Mic, My Take Radio Behind the Mic, and some of our other programs as well. With that, I am out of here on behalf of myself and the Rageworks and MTR team. I will see you guys for our gaming and entertainment show broadcasting Thursday, September 24th, 2015 at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Thanks for joining us. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. Everything, everything, that's all, folks.